We're going to talk a little bit about that this morning, serving the Lord. If you have your copy of God's Word, I would love for you to turn to the book of 1 Timothy, chapter 5. 1 Timothy, chapter 5, we're going to be looking at the first eight verses of that. We're going to be talking about godliness that begins with family. Yes, and this morning you'll have to turn there because we don't have any projections. So um, follow along in your, your version, your translation, and uh, we'll get through this. But godliness begins with family, how we treat them, how we care for them. Let me read this passage and then we'll kind of discuss it. Don't rebuke an older man, but exhort him as a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and the younger women as sisters with all purity. Support widows who are genuinely in need. But if any widow has children or grandchildren, let them learn to practice godliness toward their own family first and to repay their parents, for this pleases God. The widow who is truly in need and left all alone has put her hope in God and continues night and day in her petitions and prayers. However, she who is self-indulgent is dead, even while she lives. Command this also so that they will be above reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his own family, especially for his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Let's pray. Father, you established the family unit in the garden. It is one of your creations that has definitely survived the fall. And now I pray this morning as we look at these verses, may we all in our own way, in our own hearts, in our own minds, reflect how we treat one another, how we care for one another, our family, our friends, our relatives, all of them. May you prick our hearts and show us where we can be more demonstrative of the faith that we have in your son, of the grace that we've been shown, and of the glorious reward we have in eternity because of your son. And it's in his name I pray. Amen. You know, Jesus, he said when he was here on earth that family is whoever is doing the will of God. Mark 3.35, he says that whoever does the will of the Father the will of God is my brother, my sister, and my mother. In Luke 14, 26 to 27, he says, if anyone is not willing to hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brother and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Wow, those are pretty tough words. But then we come across a passage like this where we're told to take care of our family, to put them as a priority. You know, if you've, never, if you've not been a Christian very long or if you've not thought about this much, the Christian life is all about balance, all about keeping things the right temperature, if you will. Don't forget that Jesus said all those things, but then on the cross, he took care of his mother and made sure she was going to be taken care of. So in this context, we need to think about it, the balance of, of looking after our family Paul is, is, in the whole book of 1 Timothy, he's, he's rebuking the church a little bit. He's, he's talking about the pretenders that are there in chapter 4. And he leads up to this point where, okay, now I've told everybody that's departed from the faith, that's, that's pretending and, and talking about things they don't need to talk about, worried about genealogies and myths and all that stuff. And now we're to the point where 
he's going to talk to the church a little bit. <laughs> it's about to get real for this uh, church in Ephesus. And so he's going to speak to the responsibility that we as believers have and the pastor has too, the congregation and the pastor, to properly live out our faith and our trust in God by loving each other, by loving one another. And now Paul specifically here in this passage, he talks about taking care of your family, how to correct people correct the right way, and how to care for those in your family. So Paul is addressing how to treat and care for the church family and for your birth family, your relatives. He's telling you and telling us how to do that. And our faith in Christ must make a difference in how we treat one another, how we treat others, how we care for our church family, how we care for our birth family. It's a balance, like I said earlier. So how does God want us to show our unconditional love to the ones in our church and in our family? Well, he calls us to three basic aspects here in this passage. He wants us to be respectful, he wants us to be provisional, and he wants us to be faithful to the call we have on our lives as believers in Jesus Christ. So first of all, we're going to talk about God corrects with gentleness. Correcting others with gentleness. That's what we're going to talk about first. Verses 1 and 2. Let me, let me read this again to you. Don't rebuke an older man, but exhort him as a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and the younger women as sisters with all purity. Now, first when you read this, what's the difference between a rebuke and an exhortation? It sounds like they're kind of the same sometimes, but I tell you what, this is the way I keep it straight. You're rebuking someone usually that's unrepentant. You're telling them that they're doing something wrong and they just won't hear you, and so you give a stronger word to them. Exhortation is an encouragement to do the right thing and then kind of waiting and sitting back and seeing if they repent, seeing if they change, seeing if they, the Holy Spirit works on them and gets them to do the right thing. So that's kind of the difference. And, and in preaching and teaching God's word, there's going to be levels of correction that has to be made. And, and people ask me questions all the time and because they come from different backgrounds and different theologies and different ideas because the world's full of them out there, you know, it's, it's necessary to correct them. But we can do this in a very careful manner. Sometimes we can correct too harshly. Sometimes we can correct with a little too much coarseness in our voice. We have a tone, <laughs> as, as I've heard before and told my kids before. You have a tone with that. But Paul is giving Timothy a very practical way right here to how to measure your corrections, how to properly address someone. And he uses family interactions. He uses the family as, as the way to exercise gentleness and to measure that correction in the right manner. So how should one speak to their father, their brothers, their mother, their sisters? Well, I hope all of you would answer respectfully. Respectfully, with honor and courtesy. Yes, even your brothers and sisters, I know sometimes they're, they're tough. Be gentle, be direct, be tactful, and be genuinely concerned for their correction. Don't do it just to say, nah, I'm right, okay? That's not the reason we do it. We're, in, we're concerned for their well-being. We're concerned for their spiritual well-being. So Paul is using a very practical thing in life. Everybody's got a mom and a dad and usually brothers and sisters. And he's explaining them how to tactfully and graciously. He wants Timothy to correct them. And that's the way that it should be in the church. Corrections should be direct, okay? We don't need to be mincing words. We don't need to be vague and in, in unclear. Correction should be direct with gentle words and tones. 
to one another. I mean, this, this has been a command since Leviticus. <laughs> 1932, he says, rise in the presence of the elderly and honor the old. God said that from the very beginning, once he gave the law to the Israelites. But Paul's already had a conversation with this church about this, okay? In, in Ephesians chapter 4, he says, But speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ. So Paul's already provided one time a correction of how to talk to one another. And uh, so now he's reiterating that to Timothy. And obviously Timothy will read this letter to the church and they'll get the correction one more time. Correction is about growing, improving, not just being right or superior. Whenever we're using our rightness to try to put people down or to make people feel ignorant, that's the wrong use. And that's what Paul's getting at here. My grandmother used to say you can catch more flies with honey than vinegar. But we're not talking about flies here, Okay. We're talking about one another. We're talking about people, okay? We want our fellow believers to accept correction. We want our fellow believers to accept advice, to accept critiques for their own soul. That's what we're, that's what we're always after. The steps that are in um, Matthew 18 about church discipline, it's always focusing on trying to reconcile a lost person or a, a believer that's gone astray. And that's why this is important. It's important because we are all heading in the same direction. At least I hope we are. Christ-likeness. Are we wanting to all be like Christ? Yeah. Isn't that why we're here? Isn't that why we read our Bibles and pray? We want to be like Jesus. And in the church, among fellow members of God's family, we don't need to be gruff or angry with each other. We don't need to speak in tones that sound like you're mad at somebody instead of you're just trying to provide a little extra encouragement or correction. Last week when we talked about speech, we talked about the fact that you should speak to others like you want to be spoke to. The golden rule still applies here, okay? It's, it may have gone out of fat out there, but it's, it still applies in here. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Talk to them like you want them to talk to you. Correction, though, should come with direct words, okay? This passive-aggressive thing that a lot of people are into, you know, that's not healthy. We need to be direct, but we need to be gentle. We don't need to try to manipulate. And we also need to correct people, each other, in light in the context of the Holy Spirit. See, we're not people's Holy Spirit, okay? Even if you're speaking Scripture to somebody... You're not their Holy Spirit. So you give them the correction and you let God, the Holy Spirit, work on their heart. It's much better when they come around because the Spirit is leading them and not you. Okay? So we need to realize that. We need to exhort them. Give the Spirit time to work. I know we all get impatient. Uh I'm one of them. We may get perturbed. We may get perturbed by some people who refuse to hear the truth. We may lose our cool with those who resist us, who resist obeying the truth. But we are never to speak to them disrespectfully. They're a a soul, they're a human being, and they're someone God created. So love them. Now, I apologize if I have ever been gruff with anybody. And and I I want you to come tell me, because I've thought about it all week. It's like, do I need to apologize? Do I need to seek someone's forgiveness? 
come tell me. I apologize if I have. But you know what? Even the lost people, even those who don't know Christ, deserve civil and respectful tones from us. I know there's a lot of stuff out there that will anger you. If you watch any news, it'll all anger you to no, I mean, to no end. It's unbelievable. But remember, it's what comes out of our heart that speaks. Jesus said this in Matthew 7, 14 through 15. He said it in Matthew 15, 10 through 11, that what we say has come from our heart. So we need to be careful what's in there and make sure it's right. Let's speak carefully to people. Correction is necessary. It's part of the life as a Christian. None of us get it right ever. Not even the Apostle Paul. Go read Romans 7 if you wonder. No one gets it right. Correction is necessary. But now, Paul is going to correct this church and, and some folks about how to care for their family. So caring for your family first, verses 3 through 6. That's our second point this morning. Let me read this to you again. He says, support widows, and that word could also be honor widows, support widows who are genuinely in need. But if any widow has children or grandchildren, let them learn to practice godliness toward their own family first and to repay their parents, for this pleases God. The widow who is truly in need and left all alone has put her hope in God and continues night and day in her petitions and prayers. However, she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. So there's, there's some contrasting in there. Mostly Paul is describing widows, but he's describing them and telling us we should take care of them. Widows in need versus widows in the family. Paul kind of clears that up, and I'll talk about that in a minute. He talks about it more in verses 9 through 16 of this chapter. We'll talk about that next week. But care for your family first is a God-pleasing action for anyone. Taking care of your family members is important to God. And Paul is calling out the members here that don't. That's, where, that's really what this is. Evidently, some of the church members in that church had decided that they didn't have to care for their parents, that they were free from that for some reason. I mean, it must have been a, an issue in, enough that Paul was having to say something about it here. Or it could have been the problem that the, the church was just overwhelmed with how much need was out there in, in terms of widows. Widows were, were a very prominent thing back then because war, life was hard on men back then. And so most people, like Jesus' father, Joseph, stepfather Joseph, he passed away early. So evidently the church was either overtasked with taking care of widows or some of the church members were just going, I don't have to take care of them. God will take care of them kind of thing. Now, I, I, I don't know, but even the pagans then, back then, all the other religions that existed in the, in the panorama of, of Roman life, those pagan religions believed that you should take care of your parents and the elderly. It was very high value in their structure. They believed that the, the mothers and the, and the relatives should be taken care of, and, and they would do a pretty good job of it, according to a lot of historians from back then. But I'm, I'm getting the sense from this that some of the believers might have felt like they were free from this obligation now because, because the pagans did it, maybe. Well, I don't want to be like them, so you know, maybe I just have to let go of my, my elderly parents. But, you know, I think some of it stems from what happened with Jesus and the Pharisees in, in Mark chapter 7, verses 8 through 13. He had to, he had to confront them because they were, they were pointing out some, 
traditions that the disciples were breaking, and, he was, and Jesus pointed out, you're breaking God's law. You don't honor your parents, and it's the discussion about an offering that you make to the temple, and because you made it to the temple, it was a verbal commitment. You hadn't given it yet. You could use the money however you wanted, but you couldn't lend it to your parents, and that's what they were doing. You couldn't help your, your parents. So I think Paul's having to kind of con- confront some of that here. And so Paul talks to them about this, and he says, you need to take care of them. If you've got parents, grandparents, you've got, you got children, grandchildren, they need to take care of the elderly in their family. And then he talks in verse 5 kind of about what does a widow look like? What is their behavior and attitude if they're truly in need? And that's an interesting set of qualities that he puts out here. Widows truly in need, that they genuinely trust God. All their hope is in God, in Christ. They're they're not looking for handouts necessarily. She prays, she pleads, she begs God to help, help her, but also to help others. She's just not praying. We had a, in my home church, we had a lady, man, she was a prayer warrior and she was a widow and she lived by herself, but she never asked for anything. She still mowed her yard until she was 85 with a push lawnmower, okay? So in the Alabama heat and humidity, But she never asked for anything, but she prayed. That's what the widow does, he says. She prays not just for her own needs, but mainly for the needs of others, the spiritual burdens that she has on her heart. She exudes a certain humility. I mean, you just can tell she's humble about it. She's patient. (laughs) She's devoted to God in everything and every aspect of her life. She is seeking to make sure she's not an unnecessary burden on anybody, and she trusts God to provide her needs. That's the characteristics of a widow that's truly in need and one that we should help. But verse 6 talks about the widow that we probably should be careful if we, to help them. If the widow's in the church, and, and he, I think he's talking to some in the church here, if the widows in the church are self-indulgent, if they're, if they're wasting their money on things and they're not being careful, they're living lavishly. Paul says they're in need of Jesus. <laughs> he says they departed from the faith. They need to be corrected. They are spiritually dead and they need the gospel. That's really what Paul's saying right here. Paul says they're in need of the gospel. The widow misbehaving, she needs to be rebuked and disciplined if she's in the church, by the church, and hopefully to lead her soul back to Christ. Remember, like I said earlier, it's all about reconciliation with God. So the widow that's misbehaving needs to be disciplined by the church. And Paul's kind of pointing that out uh, behind, the, behind the words here. Widows who live frivolously need Jesus. They don't need help. They need Jesus. And then they'll hopefully be using their resources right. If they're affiliated with the church, they just need to do better. And we need to call them out to do that. But the point of this whole thing is that God calls us to care for our elderly parents and our grandparents, and even other relatives. Paul's spoken about this in Ephesians, to the Ephesians before. It's funny how many times he's repeating stuff in the letter to Timothy that he's already said in the book of Ephesians. Ephesians 6, 1 through 3. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother which is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Children, 
Children should obey. Adult children should honor. That's kind of the difference in, in why he says both of those things there. Children obey, adult children honor their parents. We need to learn the difference because it, it does change, okay? Mm, Angie's sister, Nancy, is a primary caretaker or provider or monitor, if you want to call it that, of an aunt of theirs, their dad's sister, who has alienated all her children to the point where she doesn't trust any of them and they don't want anything to do with her. So Aunt Betty gets taken care of by my, uh, my sister-in-law, Nancy, and she does it for God because it's hard. But she does it because it's the right thing to do. You know, in our advanced medical society that we live in, we live a little longer. We, we are stronger and more vital longer in life. And it's easy sometimes to relegate our, our parents, our grandparents, our aunts and uncles to institutions to help them, nursing homes. There's nothing really wrong with that. If it's necessary, there's nothing really wrong with that. But since we live longer and we're a little more you know, vigorous, the older we get, I mean, I'm watching some of you, whew, I, some of the stuff y'all do is great. It's amazing. But sometimes this need for continuous care sneaks up on us. It sneaks up on us. And we're not really ready for it. We're not thinking about it. And it can catch you off guard. Our parents, the elderly, the, our grandparents, they, they want to be independent as long as possible. And I know some of you I'm talking to this morning, you really want to be as independent as possible, as long as possible. And there's nothing wrong with that. There isn't. Yet we must be ready to provide care for those that need it. Now I know some parents aren't very good patients. <laughs> some grandparents are not very good patients either. And, uh, but we need to be open open to help them and we need to find ways to help them and I hope you're not one of those parents that's a terrible patient but um, your kids already know that so have a conversation with them but I know that it's difficult but as believers in Jesus Christ we must try we must work at it we we must accommodate for their care now I'm not talking about compromising your faith at all you got to stick to that but accommodating them. I mean, the government now does more for, for elderly than ever before. Um, yet if possible, as believers, we need to do our part. And if, if you've put your parents in a home, if they reside in a home or your grandparents reside in a home, that's fine. But don't abandon them. Go see them. Go visit them. Take them for a drive. Spend some time with them. That's what we're supposed to be doing. Whether we can provide the actual medical care and all that, we still need to pretend, participate in some relationship care. I mean, we do expect widows to live humble lives. We expect them to be devoted in Christ, just like all believers. And as a church, we attempt to help widows in our congregation. And some of those that don't have any family around or any family that will, or is willing to help, we've, we've helped. We help because they need it. So we, need to, we do expect good behavior. And as a church, we will withhold that help to those who are misbehaving. We've already done that in some cases where we've found people wasting their funds on other things like gambling or other things that aren't essential. But also the next step as a church we can take is to go to them or their families and talk to them 
to see if they can help get them out of the situation they're in. But I don't feel any obligation to help people that are living selfishly and, and frivolously. I feel the responsibility to correct them. So care for your family. It's a godly thing to do. I mean, Jesus, God says this right here. It pleases him. It enhances your godliness. I mean, that's, that's important to us. Remember I said earlier, we're trying to move in the direction of Christ-likeness. So it enhances our godliness. It, it's the right thing to do, and it pleases God. Charity starts at home, they say. And God ordains that thought, I believe, right here. So we need to practice godliness in this. It's, I know it's difficult at times, but we need to practice godliness in this. God commands us to care for the widows, especially for our own family. And this action demonstrates our faith. The third point this morning is carry on blamelessly. Carry on blamelessly. The last two verses of this passage, verses 7 and 8, Paul writes to Timothy and he says, Command this also, so that they will be above reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his own family, especially for his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Wow. I think he's serious about this. I think he's really serious about this. I think God's really serious about it because it's in our Bible. Command what to who? That's, that's one of the questions you kind of read that and you go, okay, is he talking, who's he talking to here in the middle of this paragraph? He's talking to the people not taking care of their parents. He's talking to the people that are not taking care of their grandparents. He's talking to the church members who are not providing that kind of care for their elderly in the church, even though the pagans out there are doing it like crazy and right. He's talking to them. That's the point of that verse 7. It has been a ministry in God's eyes for a very long time. His eye is always on the orphan and the widow. Exodus 22, 22. And then Psalms 146, 9. And there's other places. God's always seeing the orphan and the widow, the fatherless and the widow. And he tells them to, com to command them to do this so they'll be above reproach, to protect a reputation. Whose reputation? Their reputation or God's reputation? I don't think Paul ever worried about a person's reputation as much as he worried about Christ's reputation. Our, our Lord's life-changing death, burial, and resurrection doesn't need to get a reproach and get ashamed because of us. We need to do the best we can with our faith to be acted out, to live righteously, to do righteous deeds. Christ calls us to live rightly. Christ-likeness, that's what Christ-likeness is, living like he lived, living perfectly as best we can. Before the world, we're called to live this out before the world so they will see our good works and glorify our Father who is in heaven. That's why we're to do it, to bring good reputation to God and Christ. So listen very carefully to verse 8, because he's not missing words here. These are, these are very serious words. Verse 8, I'm going to read it again. But if anyone does not provide for his own family, especially for his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Man, God's serious about this. 
We need to be serious about this, providing for our families. I think this verse, we, we always read it, and, and I've read it to people and talked to, to, to men about how to take care of their family, and I've used this verse to kind of focus on wife and kids, wife and kids. But after studying it this week, it's bigger than that. Obviously, they're, 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 they're the closest priority. I don't want to say they're the highest priority, but they're the closest priority. They need to be taken care of. But all of our near relatives should receive consideration if they don't have anybody to take care of them, if they're not living a self-indulgent life. We need to look around us, look a little further out. Try to help those that you can. And we may have to exercise some tough love on some of our parents and grandparents and aunts and uncles. They may need a little correction, but you, you now know how to do that. Go back to verses 1 and 2. You know, now know how to approach that. But followers of Jesus must exercise some effort in aiding our relatives. That's what, that's what God's getting at here. Faith without works is dead, James says. Once you're a believer in Christ, that faith needs to get busy. That's really what James is trying to say. And Paul intentionally is correcting the church here. He's telling them, You've, you're, not, you're not doing this quite right. Paul does not want Christ smeared in any way. He doesn't want any bad publicity for Christ. He wants people to see the church taking care of people because of Christ. Not because it's a nice thing to do or a moralistic thing to do. Anyone in Christ who does not provide care for his family is truly worse than an unbeliever. A pagan, in some translations you may have, an infidel. Well, there's a word. We're worse than them. As believers, our behavior should reflect the change in our heart that brought us, was brought on by Christ. It's not a moral or civic duty. It's what Christ done in us. You should be securing your faith and the grace of Christ enough that you can take the verbal punishment you may get from your parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles when you try to help them. You can take that. You don't have to give it back to them because you have the love of Jesus in you. That love that I talked about last week, that agape, that unconquerable benevolence, that nothing can shut it down. Obviously, we set boundaries and stuff, but nothing can shut the love down. See, the difference between the unbeliever and the believer doing this is why they're doing it. The believer should be doing it for the sake of Jesus Christ. That's why we should be doing it. We don't need a pat on the back. We don't need a reward. We don't need someone to repay us. The unbeliever does it because he wants his own accolades, his own promotion. So God calls us to make our family first priority. And like I said, more than just the immediate family. And if we miss on this, nothing else we do is credible. It starts with our wife and children, but our, our testimony as a believer kind of falls apart if we're not taking care of our family. And especially if it is known to the rest of the community. So we need to carry on, as I says, carry on in the care and compassion for your family so we are blameless, above reproach, he says, before God and others. Because right religious duties, I mean, sometimes we get into this religious thing, the right religious duties that, that we think about, they must meet two criteria according to the book of James. James 1.27, he says they must care for the helpless and, and disconnect ourselves from the world. He says pure and undefiled religion. You want pure and undefiled religion. You want religion that's perfect. 
before God the Father is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained from the world. It starts right here. It starts right here with what Paul's talking about. You know, the old saying goes, a painter's house always needs painting. And a landscaper's yard always needs mowing. As Christians, we should never get into that situation. A Christian's home and family should be taken care of. That should be the priority. We should always be caring for our family. Now, how hard is it to provide and help our family? And, and do what God has asked us to do, to, to live our lives above reproach. How hard is this? Well, it seems easy enough, <laughs> but sometimes difficulty comes from lack of resources, and that's fine. There's plenty of helps out there. There's plenty of ways to get help, and those are designed for that very reason. And we help a lot of people through our church, through the Ministerial Alliance of this community. We help a lot of people that are in situations that they didn't have any control over or at least enough control to get out of. Difficulty sometimes comes from personalities, <laughs> past issues, unforgiven disagreements. Boy, there's a lot of families that are just kind of broken up because someone won't own anything or someone won't talk about anything or, or we won't let something go. You know, grace is free. It doesn't cost anybody anything. So giving them grace, they don't have to ask for it. You don't have to forgive them if they've wronged you. You forgive them in your heart, but you don't have to hand them forgiveness, but you can hand them grace and be willing to do for them what you can. Difficulty sometimes comes from making it too difficult. <laughs> we make it too difficult. We make it hard. We make it, it's too inconvenient for our lifestyles. We don't make room for it. We refuse to devote any effort. We, our time, our money, our energy, it seems too high a price to pay for helping them. But God says it isn't. God says it isn't. He says it pleases him when you do this. And it makes Jesus look really good, you know? God expects us to surrender our agenda for the sake of our family. Our agenda needs to take a back seat. Jesus is on the cross. He's in the middle of saving the world. And he stops and he looks at John, and he says, John, your mother. Mother, your son. He hands them off because he was the oldest. He was responsible for her because his, her husband had passed away. He's in the middle of saving the world, and he takes time, takes time to take care of his mother. And all of this fulfills God's will brings glory to his son. It gives a great testimony of how much we've been loved. We love because he first loved us and gave himself for us. And there is no greater love than one lay down their lives, their agendas, their positions for another, for family, for friends, for relatives. You want to be considered a good, faithful Christian? This is where it starts, right here. How are you treating your family? How are you taking care of them? Do this selfishly, selflessly, with joy and passion. And if you want to know what God's will is, I get asked that a lot. I don't know what God's will is for my life. I don't. Well, this is where it starts, right there. God's will. Take care of your family. 
Take care of your relatives. Find an aunt and uncle out there that nobody's taking care of or nobody's visiting. Or maybe some people are, but find somebody, a distant cousin. Go help them. Go help them. Pray for them. Find an opportunity to reach out to them. We need to carry on blamelessly. We don't need people saying, well, you're a Christian, but you're not. That's not the way we, we should approach that with our family. Paul calls believers, and summarizing this this morning, Paul calls believers to live out their faith in deeds of gentleness and benevolence. He wants us to do this. He's telling us to do this. And we can do this. And I promise it'll be worth your time, effort, and money. You'll be blessed by it. I promise you. Now, I want you to think about something as we, as we close out here. The church of Jesus Christ must be and is intended to be a hospital for the needy spiritually needy as well as physical needy. We're meant to be that. We're not a monument to self-righteousness, okay? We're not some high and mighty group here. We are meant to be a hospital. We are meant to be a place where people can come and get help. Paul's making that very clear in this passage. Our hearts and our hands and our resources must be available to hurting believers, to those who are just in physical need, but also to those who are unbelievers. We need to balance family and faith, just like Jesus was talking about. We need to balance it. We don't need to throw one out for the other. That's never what Jesus said do. We are a city on a hill, Jesus told us. A city on a hill. You can see it from miles. And we're to be a place people are drawn toward for the forgiveness of sin and the healing of their soul. So as we pause now to pray in our pastoral prayer time as we pause to pray pray about that pray about where you could be a little more involved in someone's life in your family that you might could help them help them find jesus hopefully if they don't know jesus that would be good but let's take some time now as we pray for this we'll do silently and then i'll close us out after a minute or so let's pray